He says, we faced limitations in facilities and know-how, particularly how to successfully train others. Undaunted, we proceeded to incrementally develop the content of a training program that has proved to be on target and long-lived. First, there was the facilities and equipment problem. He says, no air compressor or local supply storage tanks, no dedicated dive boat, no regulator maintenance or repair manuals. There was no diving officer and no one fully qualified for the position. There was no SIO dive committee. There was no dive log. There was no training syllabus or staff. There were no scuba diving clubs back then. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. You're here with good old Jamesy and bad old Brando. Big bad Brando. And we got what I think is going to be a really fun episode for you guys today. Going back in time a little bit. In, in fact, we're, we're going back in time so that we can go back further in time to take a look at scuba today and later into the future. Later we're going to look into the future, scuba. I like it. What is the future of scuba? Well, I tell you, if you, uh, if you ever read that Scubanomics website, it's looking a little bleak <laughs> recently. <laughs> Well, you can't take a sledgehammer and knock out the main lifeblood of scuba, which is travel, and expect like, hey, we'll be zippity doo down, uh, down the road here in a few years. Yeah, no kidding. So I've got this paper written by Andreas Rechneiter. Mm-hmm. Rechneiter. Written in 1994 for the Naui Instructor Advisory Board. Old Andy was the instructor number 57 for the National Association of Underwater Instructors. Naui. And this is really cool because it is taking a look back at the very first U.S. scuba training that was put together, which in reality, you know, becomes the first real scuba training in the world really as far as a way to make this training not just one person teaching another person their way but actually to have a written system that was scalable that you could start giving out to a large number of people but yeah so this guy was um he was buddies with conrad limbaugh which we have done some stuff about in the past he and old Connie were good buddies uh, attending college at UCLA back in the late 40s uh, after he'd gotten out of the Navy. And he's got a pretty amazing long resume of pretty amazing stuff that he did. He did a dive to the bottom of the Marianas Trench in 1960, 35,800 feet deep. Was he... Uh... Wearing a shearwater? <laughs> he was. He had his gradient factor set to 4085. <laughs> That's a long snorkel. 
That's all about the gradient factor. That's what it's all about, you guys. Just FYI. Wrong gradient factor, you're dead. So you're wishing someone would just tell you the right gradient factor, but they all seem to disagree. Well, you got to have the magic eight ball. It's been <laughs> updated. Did you know that he's responsible for the uh, the mascot fish for Scripps? That he discovered it? In 1955, they discovered and identified a new fish. It's a striped yellow fish that is now the official logo for the Scripps uh, Aquarium, the Birch Aquarium there. Catodon falsifer, which means, say it. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say Catodon falsifus fish is is what I was thinking. I, I, I was way off, though. Yeah, it's close. You're close. But yeah, he um, you know, he helped discover the monitor shipwreck in the 70s, was president of the Orange County Marine Institute. He had his own diving company, uh, uh, Viking Oceanographics. But he's one of those early, early days United States-based scuba guys that helped write a scuba training program that could be reproduced and later kind of became the foundation for what everybody was really doing even into today in some some cases and this is like a a bit of his retrospective back at what he and old connie were doing when you look at the abstract from this he says in 1949 information applicable to understanding scuba equipment scuba diving physiology field applications using scuba, appropriate safety procedures and training standards was sparse or non-existent. The infrastructure that has evolved since the introduction of scuba to the U.S. now includes professional instructors and diver certification to validate levels of competence, fully equipped dive stores offering equipment, safe air supplies, services, and training, To fill a key infrastructure void, the first U.S. scuba training syllabus and formal training was developed and evaluated at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in 1950. Its content was created from scratch by volunteers, and the training program content included a lot of intuition, good judgment, and experimentation. In retrospect, it is gratifying to find that the U.S. scuba training continues to utilize the basics developed for the first syllabus and that millions of divers continue to be trained and certified by the scuba diving community, a unique accomplishment. Absolutely. Now, definitely from what we've talked about on our show for the last couple of years now, we've scrutinized some of the changes that have occurred to training over the years to commercialize it a bit and water some things down. But for the most part, even the, the quickest, fastest, cheapest scuba class today is still held in this basic foundation of knowledge of what somebody needs to know and the things that need to be had underwater, right? Absolutely. So Andy says... When I offered to present this paper, I did not consider that it might be the first time that it has been given in this much detail, and more importantly, that it likely will be the last. Confirmation of my recall was substantiated by historical information contained in the valuable archives of the Scripps Institution of Oceanography Library. I, along with Conrad Limbaugh, were the first to establish a formal scuba training course and to train scientists to use scuba for research, both basic and applied. Unfortunately, Connie died just 10 short years after we started diving together in 1950. That leaves me as the U.S. scientist with the longest used scuba for science. Making such a strong statement will likely bring out a refutation. Perhaps surprisingly, I hope that might occur. It is indicative of how weak 
our documentation of the early days of scuba diving depends on the memories of those that hit the water over four decades ago. I will gladly yield to anyone that can convince me that the situation was different than that reported herein. After 44 years, I have likely locked in on some facts that are now what I remember, not what someone else might remember. With this caveat, I will proceed to document here how I remember the first U.S. scuba training effort. There is no doubt that it was the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. A testimonial that it was a good training course has been its adoption by virtually all modern scuba diver training programs. Their success and the success of scuba training to minimize injury or fatalities has given me great satisfaction. Finally, at 69, and after 45 years of scuba diving, this might be my last contributed paper on this subject. And old Andy went on uh, to pass away at, what, 2005? 2005. So here this was in uh, 1994, right at the height of scuba arguing... <laughs> scuba arguing is an actual classification of of study or an activity within the scuba world. Can I get a C card for that? Uh, I am a certified scuba arguer, by the way. Scuba arguing, uh, the art of scuba arguing. No better examples than Facebook <laughs> or scuba board or. Wait, wait, I thought that's where you go to get good answers. <laughs> no, you go to argue. That's where you, ho- you brush up on your scuba argument uh, skills, if you will. Yeah, there was a time where I thought scuba board was the, the lowest of the low. The, it was. Of, of, of any information that you get. But it was. all the, 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 the Facebook is... Is, oh, beat it. Facebook said, here, hold my beer. Hold my beer. Oh, you're bad? You have erroneous bullshit information by a bunch of egomaniacs that that would rather post than dive? Hold hold on. Hold my beer. I'll just allow anyone to post whatever. Yeah, I had to uh, leave a couple of the groups. It was just taking up too much bandwidth in in my screen. They would come across with just ridiculous. I can't even... uh, I don't even want to keep my fingers on that pulse. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. An overview of what it was like during the period of genesis of scuba diving and scuba training in the U.S. is not unlike attempting to describe in a few paragraphs what it must have been like when the first automobiles were introduced. Who knew anything about these new contraptions and, more importantly, how to operate them? Where could one conveniently buy gasoline, oil, and other replenishment and services? Driving etiquette and the essential rules of the road had to be established. What was it like to bootstrap scuba through its infancy? Not an easy task, but fun. A few of us are still around that recall the start of scuba in the U.S. and enjoy telling sea stories about how it was in the beginning. See, that's cool stuff, like those early days. And mm-hmm. in, in a way, like you and I were lucky enough to know a lot of those people that were really around in those very, very early days. I mean, the, the guy that I originally worked for had one of the very first dive shops mm-hmm. in Michigan. Yes. Yeah, a lot of history there. You know, he uh, he started a shop in 1965, which wasn't the first shop, but it was one of the first ones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the 90s when he was leaving. He made his first profit. <laughs> 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 kidding, kidding. Well, in the, but in the 90s when he, when he first left, or he was one of the only ones still around of those early divers. Right, yeah. So talking to him about the early days, I mean, he was a out-of-the-Navy kind of a diver. Mm-hmm. So he was learning in the 60s this very stuff that old Conrad and Connie, Andy, Andy and Connie had developed and was starting to move through the move through the country. I really like how he compared developing scuba 
and, and just how new it was to driving in the early days. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you didn't have analogy. gas stations on every corner. You didn't have a repair shop on every corner. You didn't have a muffler place on every corner. Right? Like mm-hmm. you had to really think about what was going to happen. There was no infrastructure to really support driving a car. And right. scuba was the same way. I mean, you couldn't just go to a dive shop and get an air fill. You, you couldn't go to a dive shop and, and get your regulator fixed. But that was kind of the cool part of it, too, as far as that really really spurs to creativity, I think, in the human population. It's just, you know, I compare it to the birth of tech diving, if you will. I, I would 100% agree with you. It was kind right? of a, a no man's land for a while. And people were creative. The thing, they were making their own can lights. They were, you know, especially back in the early days, they were making their own wings and BCDs for cave diving. and uh, Strapping Late. together tanks, all of that kind of stuff all came out of necessity. You know, creativity yeah. Right, uh, yeah. birthed it. The, the reels that you can go in and buy right now... You know, at one time, <laughs> yeah, they had to just make my hand, right? Yes. But, yeah, you uh, you really had to get creative, and uh, you had to get out there and dive. And that's the one thing, right? Yeah. They it, weren't talking it, about it. There was no internet were, for them to suck their freaking time away. Yeah. It, 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 they weren't just talking about it, you know, sitting in a, in a classroom or sitting at a coffee shop. They were or in sitting the in water, front of a computer. diving, doing it. And developing a curriculum that worked right along with it. Right. It would have been kind of kind of fun to be alive during that time. Yeah, very much. To to, to be on the foreground of of that that would would have mm-hmm. been amazing. And he says, actually, I was not present for the beginning of diving for science at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography, although some claim I am old enough to have been there. Frank Haymaker was hard hat diving for Dr. Francis Shepard when I arrived at SIO, January a, in 1947. Haymaker. What were you going to say? That's a cool name, Haymaker. That is a good name. Do you know what a haymaker is? Oh, yeah. Don't want a haymaker. Nobody wants <laughs> a haymaker. <laughs> Unless you're giving it. <laughs> Unless you're giving a haymaker. And then maybe somebody deserves a haymaker. <laughs> His classic U.S. Navy equipment was lost to the bottom of the sea when the SIO war surplus U.S. Navy utility boat turned, broke loose from its anchor in a storm, sea, and sank off La Jolla. Son of a bitch. I mean, daughter of a bitch. The hell, man. I I was to have taken my first hard hat diving lesson from Haymaker on that fateful day, he says. I never donned that type of equipment, even in its modern form. Haymaker's diving for science terminated with the loss of his equipment. In the fall of 1947, I transferred to UCLA for the formal coursework required of a Ph.D. candidate. So 1947, this is not even five years after the Aqualung is officially released, right? Mm -hmm. In the spring of 1950, old Connie Limbaugh and I transferred as graduate students to SIO from UCLA with two Aqualung regulators, one triple tank unit and one single tank. <clears throat> you know they always fought over the triple tank unit, right? That's my triples. Those are my triples. <laughs> no, man. you used the triples last time, Connie. You said I could use them this time. <laughs> they look cool. I know. You're always yeah. picking up the chicks because you got the triples. <laughs> you got I the look triples. like the loser with the one tank. I don't stand a chance with this little one single lone tank even if i tell all those ridiculous i don't breathe as much kind of lines out there that no nobody wants to hear that the girls just want the guy with the bigger tanks right it's like standing on the are. beach it's like standing on the beach with the surfboard you want the little six foot surfboard or you want that big old ten the guy with the long board who's yeah, <laughs> got the 150 pound wooden <laughs> 10 foot long board carved out of a, a tree from hawaii and he rode it all the way to the mainland. This, this is an interesting story here. He says... Wearing his triples. Yeah, go ahead. Of those, of those two units, they were the third and fourth regulators sold in the United States. Wow. Units one and two were purchased by brothers in New York. 
and ours were purchased from Rene Buzos. You remember he had that like sporting goods shop in Southern California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he was the one that was you know uh, campaigning to get more scuba into that sporting yeah. shop kind of thing. He was the one that uh, kind of took the chance. Westwood Sporting Goods Store using funds by Professor Dr. Boyd Walker, UCLA Zoology Department. Regretfully, those first two regulators and their tanks have been lost. Son of a bitch. At the time, no owner's manual or any other kind of instructions accompanied these items. <laughs> Here's your regulator. Go. Here's your regulator. Don't die. Don't die. Breathe. Breathe. Here's your regulator. This thing will kill you. Don't die. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> we didn't have the litigious society that we have now where right. you had to worry about that kind of thing. You just bought your shit and you had personal responsibility. Yeah, it's like baseball bats didn't come with warning labels and instruction right. manuals. Like, don't <laughs> hit your little brother upside the head with this thing. <laughs> this, that would be bad. <laughs> it, just, it just was assumed that you wouldn't be an idiot with it. Now you got fucking YouTube videos for kids eating <laughs> detergent pods and setting themselves on fire and all the rest of the nonsense. Yes, and then and and and, you and then they sue. A, yeah, because it's the uh, the company's fault. Yes, that my for, kid's an idiot. <laughs> Jesus, look where Personal we're Personal responsibility, man. We were on our own to experience entering the ocean with these novel self-contained air supply packages. Clearing your ears, clearing a flooded faceplate, clearing the mouthpiece, finding a need for a weight belt, and learning to swim primarily with fins rather than arms and fins were all new. Adding clothing and skin coatings were soon sought to ward off the cold of the La Jolla waters. We adapted to scuba and its use quickly and fortunately without any serious accidents. There were close calls, and these we conveniently called experiences to ward off any curtailment of our activities by a higher authority. <laughs> what should we call these? They can't be called accidents. They can't be called <laughs> yeah, yeah. injuries. They'll, they'll cut us off. All so right. these yeah, are yeah. going to call, be called experiences. He sounds like uh, he should work in the government. Connie, don't tell anybody... <laughs> Don't tell anybody about that. It was not an accident, Andy. It was an experience. It was a, it was a valuable learning experience. This is we're we're writing the book on this shit, Andy. <laughs> well, in their defense, they were approaching it with some semblance of intelligence and not just uh, you know willy nilly. So they knew that that mistakes were going to be made, and you had to identify them and rectify or at least learn to prevent yeah because uh up to now right it's it's like they were building a house with a hammer right and then and then somebody comes up and he goes hey uh we've got these pneumatic nail guns at home depot (laughs) 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 and it's so it's like so now we got this good new tool and they're out exploring the shores off of la jolla like for scientific purposes, studying these new species and stuff. And revenge. And, and, and the, they're just doing it on breath hold. And they're like, hey, mm-hmm. we can get our hands on this aqualung. We can stay down for, you know, half hour, hour instead of seconds. Untethered. Explore so they, freely. they get this tool, yeah. and now they're getting down, and they can go deeper, and they can stay longer. And But they, they don't know what they're doing yet. So they're learning on the fly, and they're, they're realizing, Wow. You can shoot yourself in the foot 50 times with this pneumatic <laughs> nail gun tool that we just bought. This could be really bad if you if you use it the wrong way. I'm curious if they were in contact or at least uh, corresponding with somehow uh, the old Jacques. Jacques and Didi and Well, yeah, the so they, they were working at, at different times because, remember, Andy went on to, you know, be appointed – you know, right. a, a position with but Jacques, Jacques was, over at CMAS. Okay. I mean, Jacques was still working with the, uh, I mean, he, from the moment he invented it, he continuously worked with it. I mean, he, he hadn't had set up the 
Calypso or whatnot, maybe, but, you know, he didn't have that program going, but he was still working on the scuba. Seeing that he invented it, I'm sure he was progressing with it. Yeah, but, you know, for the young kids that are listening to this podcast today, this was a time where you... (laughs) <laughs> you, you couldn't just post on Facebook that you almost drowned. It was a time where correspondence took weeks. Weeks, right, right. That's If it was quick. Mm-hmm. But I would imagine they still had to, you know, they still held conventions occasionally. I mean, that was that's one thing about yeah, that, yeah. the whole Yeah, uh, but this community. was like once a year, maybe. Right, right. People could but... get together and talk for a weekend. And share and then, information. And then, and then everybody was going off and doing their own thing. And well, they'd come back, yeah. you know, once again. And, and so things were so slow to, to incorporate. Yeah. I get that. I'm just, uh, you know, if it were me running the show, if it were me in, in their shoes, I would be doing what I could to correspond with the inventor of this <laughs> of Yeah, the, I'm with you. This I'm with device, you. right? Because <laughs> you know that he's got to be using it he's he didn't just invent it and walk away so i would be trying to find out what works with him and what and then you know work together i was just curious i didn't i didn't see any mention Which, uh, of well, well, like, and he crew, was so. he was appointed adjoint president of cmas with yeah. Cousteau in 1961 okay so this is less than a decade later he's right really working hand in hand with him right they finally did hook up. Is what I guess we're we're getting at. Is they did, they did get together. So the, the whole scuba community would uh, benefit from two groups working too. Yeah, uh, and I think there was probably more than those two. Oh yeah, because yeah, you had yeah, the yeah. Han, Hans Haas's crew, right? Yeah, you know, they yeah. they're working at it as well. Um, and, and I bet you there's a bit of ego in there too, like. Uh, once you kind of get on the path of being comfortable using this new Aqualung, of being known as being the first one to kind of write that book on how to use it well. Right. And he says, the real start of using scuba for science began at Scripps in the summer of 1950, when Connie Limbaugh and I, as graduate students, began formal investigations of the kelp beds and general exploration into the submarine canyons. The term scientific diving had not been coined yet, nor had the acronym SCUBA. Funding support for the kelp bed surveys came from the Kelco Company, who had concern for the health and well-being of the Southern California kelp beds as a harvestable resource. Now, just like any other guy trying to teach SCUBA, Andy says, Connie was a bachelor with little money. And frequently used his car for sleeping and housing for six-week stretches. As an alternative to a cold car, he slept on the open beach just north of the beach and tennis club until he found more permanent quarters at Wendon Sea, which he shared with a couple of SIO research ship technicians. He says, I was married with little money and had to find a place to live for his wife Martha and son David. We, along with other Scripps graduate students, luckily found accommodations in the surplus Camp Callan World War II housing complex that remained after World War II. At Scripps, our diving equipment list was limited to two sets, two regulators, two tanks, weight belt, fins, and faceplate. No wetsuits because they hadn't been invented yet. Lacking any seagoing conveyance, we uploaded our equipment into Connie's Kaiser automobile and headed for a beach entry in the Green Clunker. The summer diving of 1950 gave us a new insight into the underwater world of Southern California, converting our recognition of preserved fish specimens to identifying the living animal was challenging. Like bird watching, we soon learned that certain species are associated certain distinct habitats, that their swimming motions and behavior were unique to each, and that rare species were often common when you enter their habitat. 
older collecting and observation techniques were so deficient, common species were listed in the textbook as rare. What a joy to add new knowledge about some, many topics. It was easy to make new discoveries. Putting it down for publication was a much more onerous task for we wanted to be in the field underwater and not in our graduate student cubicles. Using five tine frog spears, we augmented our diet of horse meat fillets from a local pet store with speared fish. Abalone were easily found and rested from their rocky layers with a large screwdriver. The screwdriver was used extensively before diving knives purchased from military surplus stores became popular. Other tools for collecting specimens remained to be developed or adapted, mostly from items we found in war surplus stores. So kind of like the Cousteau's crew there. His cronies. In, in, war, in wartime. Yeah, they, uh, they were basically supplementing their broke asses mm-hmm. with hardly anything to eat with fish. food from the sea. Now that, now that they've got access, <laughs> yeah. now they got access to scuba, you're like, man, we can, we can get all kinds of stuff. So they were really the first exploiters of the sea using scuba. They, quite, they would quite be li- quite literally lambasted on the internet right now. They would be lambasted. What about Facebook? Facebook would destroy them. There's a lot of uh, social justice warriors that would just have them for lunch. To better understand our equipment, our diving procedures, and improving our time underwater, we were constantly seeking advice and leads to equipment that could be added to our meager diving locker. We sorely needed a more readily available supply of breathable air. All of our air had to come from Los Angeles in 160 cubic foot tanks. We had but six of these tanks. They were purchased to ensure that we would have containers. All others were being converted to other gases as there was an inadequate market for compressed air. When our tanks were empty, they had to be shipped to L.A. for filling. For a week or more, we were without an air supply to replenish our scuba tanks. This was a great inconvenience. The ocean water off La Jolla is cold much of the year, and particularly below the thermocline where we frequently ventured. To combat the discomfort of energy sapping, we sought cold protection by trying various types of clothing. Long johns, greasy skin coatings, and surplus Air Force survival suits, similar to early foam rubber wetsuits. Some years later, we were glad to be among the first to welcome the advent of the Hugh Bradner Stuart McKay Devil Co. Foam Rubber Wetsuit. Nice. Yeah, this is back in the days of just slapping on like a Vaseline. half inch of, of Vaseline all <laughs> over your body before you jumped in the water, you know? And what's really going on out there? You know, who's, who's developing side by side with all this? which I'm surprised is not mentioned, though. But I guess she didn't come until a little later as far as her scuba was was last week's uh, star, Dottie Frazier. So she, I, remember, I remember her talking about, you know, lacks, lack of wetsuits and whatnot. So, yeah, it was, the, it was in the 1950s where Dottie, also down there in Southern California, she's more over hanging out over on Catalina, but... It starts developing and making those penguin wetsuits, yeah. Right She's on those, this. yeah, 40-foot cabin cruisers hanging out with the gang. Nothing fi- nothing funny going on, though. She was a sweet angel. <laughs> she was a sweet angel. <laughs> so when he talks about the, the lack of infrastructure. Yeah. And how inconvenient it is to... Today to, to drive so. to drive fifteen minutes to the dive shop to get a fill. Yeah, but you also got to remember that our day is jam packed compared to their day. Jam packed. Yeah, no kidding. People can get a hold of you twenty four seven now. They couldn't back then. You could, you would have multiple eight hour shifts of nobody calling you or texting you or emailing you or anything like that. You know, true facts. 
Yeah, so you had a little bit more time to do that stuff. Whereas now, really, you don't. I mean, you're expected to respond immediately to communications and uh, you hop on things and take care of them. world goes a lot faster. Yeah, so they had six storage bottles, basically, to fill their scuba units with. Mm-hmm. So they could get a, a, you know, a, a couple of dives done over a couple of days, and then it's like a week or two before they can get back in the water and you know, before they can get that storage bank refilled again. So there was definitely limitations to it back in the day. Where Andy goes next, which was talking about diving protocol and diving operations and infrastructure. Right, because there wasn't, there wasn't dive boats to ju- just jump on to go scuba diving yet. There weren't air compressors with filtration systems for breathing gases to, to fill up your bottles on, on an easy, regular basis. So he says, the original SIO scuba diver list included only Connie and myself. Uh, to help other graduate students, staff, and faculty become acquainted with scuba, we recognize that our time and talent would be diverted away from graduate studies. However, we were so impressed with the potential of scientific diving and knew from our limited experiences that it would mean opening new horizons for discoveries in each of the oceanographic disciplines. We decided to make our time and talent available to them at no cost. Thus, the first U.S. scuba diver training was initiated and was carried out at no cost for the first couple of years. Well, no wonder you can't make a goddamn dollar teaching scuba diving. <laughs> well, wait they a minute. Hold it. off by doing were, it for free for God's they sake. Were, they were doing it at only no cost. They weren't paying to do it. You mean they weren't paying an agency? thousand dollars you know between insurance and freaking dues they weren't paying an agency to teach yes here here they were so they were doing pretty good they were only they were only only doing it for free (laughs) they were only doing it for their time and talent they weren't doing it for time talent and money yes man they had it made Later, we would swindle these instructors into doing it for free and pay us $1,000 to have the luxury of being able to do it. Yeah, so you can put that patch on your jacket. Yes. Uh, Later, he says, we started charging $99 for scuba classes. (laughs) With a group And 70 years later, guess what? (laughs) Despite inflation, it's still 99 bucks. (laughs) Exactly. Go figure. He says, we faced limitations in facilities and know-how, particularly how to successfully train others. Undaunted, we proceeded to incrementally develop the content of a training program that has proved to be on target and long-lived. First, there was the facilities and equipment problem. He says, no air compressor or local supply storage tanks. No dedicated dive boat. No regulator maintenance or repair manuals. He mentions that Jim Snodgrass, Frank Hetzel, and Roy Priute, Advanced Developments Department, dismantled our cherished regulators, developed a repair manual, and gave us handmade tools for assembling and disassembling them. There are no diving instruction manual or diving protocols. To this equipment list, we added bastardized regulators, surplus tanks, surplus life vests for retrieving fish, not divers, weight belts, long johns, and collecting devices. There were no wetsuits until Dr. Hughes Bradner and Stuart McKay. To stay warm, we tried a spectrum of ideas, most of which were unsuccessful, like Vaseline as a cold protection layer. There were no dive shops or campus dive locker. Does the Vaseline really work? No. Well, that's what that's he's saying. It was unsuccessful. I know, but, I mean, it's still, it's still mentioned in, t- in training today for ice diving and whatnot. It's still mentioned. I, I'm curious. What's the thought process of how it's 
quote unquote supposed to work, I guess. I don't know. I it's just freaking you know, it's a jelly uh hydrocarbon that you rub all over. What do you, how is this how is this keeping you warmer? I guess you're not I mean, you're not wet. The the Vaseline repels the water, but what do you think uh what do you, what do you think old Andy's wife Martha w- would say when she saw Andy <laughs> and, and Connie wa- walk with a, with a big slathering it on each other's bodies. Can you get my back, Connie? Honey, honey, where, where are you going? <laughs> where? I, I thought, noticed you I guys thought go... you and Aunt, I thought you and Connie were going diving. What are you doing with that <laughs> that tub of Vaseline? These long weekends alone out in uh, the remote beaches of California with <laughs> giant tubs of Vaseline. <laughs> What's going on? What's up with that? <laughs> to quote Seinfeld. Why are you guys always diving? <laughs> it's our, our research, honey. <laughs> there was no diving officer and no one fully qualified for the position. There was no SIO dive committee. There was no dive log. Dr. Carl Hubbs's scientific record log form served as the format for our first dive log. There was no training syllabus or staff there were no scuba diving clubs back then he says second was the problem of no ready reference documents or scuba experienced personnel connie and i volunteered our time and talent to train others in our newly found means to conduct scientific research inside the environment that was essentially alien to earlier oceanographers From our field experience and training program, we assembled the facts and methods that led to the development of a training course syllabus and hands-on training. Which, again, Brando, is a lot of like how things were in those late 80s, early 90s when the tech world really started booming, right? It, It was just we've seen the stuff in the shallows and we want to go deeper. Right. Right. Uh, We've seen the stuff in the cavern zone. We want to go further. The only tool that we have is the same old tools that we've been using since the 50s and 60s. So it was a very similar time of just winging it for a little while and trying to develop what's going to eventually become this new curriculum, this new equipment configuration, which now in the 2020s, has completely revolutionized how almost everyone approaches diving. Well, yeah, I mean, again, we we look at the uh, boom of communication via the Internet and cell phones and all that stuff. So people could communicate quicker, faster, with more people. Uh, So when all that's going on at the same time, it was a quick study i guess you'd say of how to develop the best although there i mean there's still argument within the community of what the best practices are best training methods and you know best techniques but overall i think they have an agreement so are you saying between the tech guys or between everybody right now i was basically saying you know it's it's a parallel in the sense of Back in the 50s, they were developing this program, and other little pockets of divers in the world were diving and, and training people because they, they weren't alone. They weren't in a vacuum. You know, They weren't the only ones using the newly invented Aqualung scuba regulator. And, of course, like I say, Jacques was still developing it. It wasn't like he invented it, and that's it. I've got it. I've, I've nailed it. He, had, he kept developing it. He kept diving with it. So he kept developing diving techniques and diving protocol. You know, he didn't, I don't believe he approached it just like, yeah, just throw the shit on and go, go blow bubbles. And especially when he selected team members to, to do work with him. You know, to include his buddies, his best buddies. Yeah, yeah. They all had to have some kind of training to use it. I'm sure Jacques was setting up a similar program at the exact same time. That's what I mean. They had to be collaborating, but they couldn't because of lack of communication technology, which is where the parallel to the 
tech growing in the 90s, late 80s, 90s, into the 2000s, is that we had the internet, and you had a million experts collaborating. I think that was a big hindrance, though, is you had the egos bashing each other in the head. And only when you got, you know, sane, sensible, intelligent people that were doing this together to develop programs that really boosted the... uh, the practice of technical diving really boosted the safety and the ability for all divers to really kind of get to those deeper depths and in, in those harsher environments. Well, yeah, because for a, for a long time, it was just accepted that ah, sometimes you lose one. <laughs> well, you do. You right? Kinda, like, kinda right? Do. Uh, but, but, I mean, it was even, even more right. common, like right. especially in those early tech days, is ah, sometimes people don't come back. Sometimes, you know... Yeah, sometimes air is too deep and, and you lose them. Yeah, so they, that's that, that was kind of the mentality, I, I think, too, is like, oh, we, we, it just happens. We're going to keep doing it. And that's why I had to use that adjective, intelligent, sensible, you know, sane people with their egos in check for the most part. Because the ones that keep or kept advocating for the deep air or kept doing the same thing over and over and accidents would happen, you know, the, from the protocol of labeling gas switch tanks, you know, to, again, deep air, um, working underwater, you know, even wearing BCDs and things like that. They were still arguing that into the 90s. Yeah, I, I would say there's a small holdover that, that's... Yes, still you, you still see, you know... They uh, seem to the, have the, big mouths, was... too, really big mouths. It's it's amazing that they they do still pop up, yeah. They, mm-hmm. um, but in a time where if we go, we're talking like eighties, nineties, throwing two independent steel seventy twos on your back with two completely independent single tank regulators, right? With two octos, <laughs> exactly. You know, two pressure gauges. Well, because the two old primary backup, it's all for backup. Two, if one's good. More than one's better, and more than more than one is even better. Yeah, but but then but that that was just how you did a, a two hundred right. foot dive. Is you just took the same stuff if you were going to go to thirty feet at the local but lake, take some extra. You know that seventy two. <laughs> you just wrap up two of them together, <laughs> so you got twice duct the tape. gas and go. Honey, go get the duct tape. And it, it's it's fun that we can laugh about it now but it was that was just the standard thing happening in a lot of places and oh, yeah. like what you're saying is there were people like what you're describing that were saying this is asinine it, yeah exactly what are, what are people doing yeah oh well, critical thinker would look at this and go what the hell i'm you know i'm coming into this activity uh i love it i want to go deeper and longer i see people are doing it this was me. This was me when I, I came out of commercial school learning mixed gas and deep diving and all the, all the science behind deep diving and learning how to do it tethered, which affords a huge margin of safety. Right? Oh, yeah. Versus scuba. And you see these people doing it on scuba, and I thought, I'm going to go to the experts. And when I went to the experts and found most of the experts kind of had their heads up their rear end and were just doing what other people had done it with and they hadn't really thought about it i i don't want to say i lost my shit but i kind of lost my faith in the the community per se uh, and these were mainstream uh you know newly born technical training agencies but very mainstream you I mean you would say yeah that yeah way, right? i remember going through it early on too and then i i i was like this is like russian roulette down here this is dumb yeah this is just dumb dumb. it's just tough it out and and hopefully you come up and i was turned off by that community until i ran into you and right and i changed you were having at the same time yeah yeah so because i ran into somebody else that was taking a lot of flack you know i was running i run into you know i did some research i got on the internet pretty early in the it wasn't the 80s, but it was the 90s. It was like 1993, 94. I was 
getting on the internet because I was married. My wife and I were talking about having kids. I did not like computers. I had to use them in the military. I had to take classes on them. Didn't like them. You remember, did you ever take a, and I took a class in even grade school, sixth grade, we took a basic class. Did you ever have basic? Oh, yeah, yeah. Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code? Yeah, that basic. That, that green screen? Well, you get, yeah, they all had the greens. Yeah, but, but so it's like, okay, well, you're gonna, you start to learn a few commands, and then you learn you know, how to program a basic program. So you had to write one that would balance a checkbook. It, t- it t- took like a week to write, and you're like, I could have balanced 50 checkbooks now. This computer thing doesn't really, it's not floating my boat, so I kind of went away from it, but I had to get back into it going to college and getting in the military. When I decided, when we decided to have kids, I said, okay, I'm going to have to jump into this. Got on the internet. That's where, you know, and this is what I'm talking about, is that communication, showing that, that there's alternatives, there's other people doing things, and they're doing things that you're doing or you're wanting to do, but they're not doing them in this non-critical thought way where it's, it's all like ego and just throw down and tough out the deep air. And you can do it any way you want, whatever works for you. You know, that, that mentality. And that was my first classes was whatever works for you. Try it here. Try it there. Try it there. I'm like, I'm coming to an expert because this may work for me, but I can't foresee the issues I might run into with it. I, I don't right, have the experience, yeah. right? Which is why you, you're supposed to be going to a knowledgeable instructor. Right. So that you don't have to reinvent that wheel every single, right. every single time. Yeah, I'm with you. I was expecting early on in those late 90s as well to have like a really logical, clear equipment configuration practices. But it it was exactly like what you're saying. It was like, (laughs) ah, well, however you want to do it. Wear it on your ass. Wear it on the side. (laughs) Wear your tanks on whatever side you want. Do whatever you want with them. You just label them. (laughs) Yeah, I heard you need a seven foot hose. Where'd I put it? (laughs) Put it wherever you want. Strap it. You strap it you somewhere. See, one of those hoses has to be seven feet, is what I was told. I was like, anywhere? Yeah, yeah. you got to make one yeah. of them seven. It could be, you know, bungee strapped to the back of your. And that's you where know, mine was. It was on a bungee. I did that. Yeah. On a on a pony bottle. Yeah. Strapped to the back. Well, we have to deploy that. Let's get this done out of the way. We'll do that okay. right at the beginning of dive one. So now I got a seven foot <laughs> hose, completely unable to be restowed. Yeah. Just like. Yeah. Out and around, now and that was it. that was just normal practice back then. Uh-huh. It was a lot of shit like that, and 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 it didn't make sense to me. And when I ran across another group that actually put critical thought and had reasons and a uniform methodology, because there is when you're working in a team, uniformity is key. You can't have everybody willy nilly, you know. It does not well, yeah, produce of uh, efficiency. It it's, I mean, it goes against efficiency. That's safety. where in those yeah, that's where in those days that's why DIR was such a revelation right. for so many people because it was the first time somebody said whoa 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 dumbasses <laughs> we're we're stopping this <laughs> craziness yeah. yeah and yeah and sure at the time. It was a big slap into the face of a lot of people that had survived the old way many, many times and had worked through the toughness, right? They were on the winning side of that, luckily. Well, yeah, so for the time being. It, it, was, yeah. it really pissed them off. But look at it now 30 years later. Oh, everybody, yeah. Everybody, that's the standard configuration if you're going to go tech diving. For 99% of the people, right. And, and every single major agency out there has that as part of their recreational gear in the catalog. You can yep. you can get that configuration as a choice. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, you know, that's the old saying, first they, what is it, first they argue with you, then they they make fun of you, they condemn you, and then they copy you, you know. You know, you've, you've brought this up. A number of times over the course of the show. I'm bitter. I'm you've bitter. never, you've never said the words the same way. I think no. twice in a row. <laughs> now, the concept, the concept's always remember. there, but the the Fucking actual quote. words describing it seem to <laughs> float around a little bit. It's true. <laughs> I don't like to memorize things so much as I like to understand, you know, what they're meaning. So, I uh, <laughs> I may take some liberties with the. The exact quote, but the idea is, you know, that they, we, 
those of us who were involved somewhat in, you know, and I call myself in them as a satellite involvement kind of person, but I was still involved with it, took a lot of flack, you know. I actually lost friends over it. I actually lost friends, never had like a fight, but just like, oh, he's going down that route. I'm not going to talk to him anymore. Like, well, yeah. what the hell and is then, that all about? <laughs> yeah, and, and little did those people know 20 years from now. They'd be doing it. They would be doing that exact same thing. They're yeah. doing it, and they are, and that's what really, really kind of, doesn't it kind of just scratch at the back of your head like, what the fuck? What the hell, man? <laughs> but I No, I like, I like being able to stand on my scuba lawn with my socks and with robe and my, and my hose <laughs> squirting these kids with long hoses and right. back plates. They don't even know what it's for. They don't know the, the development of the practice and the, the config, configuration and the uh, equipment selection even. You know, and that's where, that's where I'm at right now, and this is we'll have conversations. Even in our Zoom meeting, you start talking about different things that have been beaten to death in the scuba. I just don't... I mean, my scuba diving now is very, very simplified. As a matter of fact, I don't put all that energy into trying to reinvent my wheel that I'm using. I love what I have. It works really well. I'm very comfortable with it. I can see the reasoning behind it all. So I don't put energy into that anymore. I put it in other things with diving, you know, for example, the getting taking pictures or just having fun with the diving versus a lot of energy spent back in those days, you know, with regard to honing everything so you're teaching and everything is just yeah. right. Well, you know, you, you put your work into the craft. Right. Versus so that, so that now you can just go be in the moment. That's, right. And just go diving. Yeah. Which is still to this day, you know, even though there's so many agencies and instructors out there that, you know, ultimately would adopt that DIR configuration, there's still a lot of them that think it's all about the configuration. Right. Or the or being horizontal in the water. Yeah, right. it's not the crafting of the mindset. It's not the crafting of of the ability and the in the mechanics. It, they they still there's a lot of them, an overwhelming majority I would say, that oh, yeah. think it's all an equipment thing. And what you're just saying right there, in my opinion, and what I hear and is what I agree with the most is it's the work and the craft that allows you to have the peace underwater that you have today. Oh yeah. Well, to me, again, the the configuration and that that look, you know, that if you look at any diver picture now, it's very rare you find the person horizontal or, you know, off off the 180 degree trimmed out position. You don't see it like you used to. I mean, it's still out there. Trust me. And I, we still see divers doing it. As a matter of fact, when we get divers that are unaware of this type of dive, I shouldn't say type, but this philosophy of diving, this methodology of diving, when they're unaware of it, they usually look still like they did back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, flailing their feet and arms and, and off trim and, you know, working a lot, working a lot. So it's still there, but oh yeah, you're oh, right. It's, it's definitely still there. The most important I was trying to get at is the, probably the most important thing to me, anyway, is that mindset, that awareness, and that approach to diving. It's more important than the configuration and being flat in the water. You know, hundred percent agree. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get back to Andy so try to and wrap Connie up here. Yeah, part let's wrap. One, let's James, wrap up. This going to be a two parter, eh? Yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get a stage bottle. We we're should have, have left to get a stage, stage on this. Bottle. So let's wrap up this little, yeah. this other little paragraph here. We'll save. Uh, we'll save the actual uh, content of the original program for for next week, and uh, get into some other stuff. But um, remember where we're at here is like they're volunteering their time trying to put something right. together because nothing exists, and I, I think. Here, Andy and Connie are saying, like, all right, we're not going to be in this role forever, right? Somebody else is going to have to come in, right? When we go on to do something else, we're done with our graduate studies, uh, we move on, somebody else is going to come in. So somebody's have to teach somebody how to do all this mm -hmm. stuff. And we're going to need infrastructure and resources so that we can continue on with the growth. Mm-hmm. 
not not be stagnant. Yeah, a little foresight. Yeah, so he says, we began the training process by applying common sense. Did the candidate appear physically healthy? Could the individual swim around the 1,000-foot-long Scripps Pier? Later, we added a very touchy and subject means to evaluate each person's psychological aptitude for diving. We negotiated with the La Jolla Beach and Tennis Club to use their swimming pool early in the morning before their regular members were interested in using it. We started by a short briefing about the equipment and what it would feel like to breathe underwater. Gearing up the students at poolside followed within minutes. First, we had them sit on the pool steps and then slowly lower themselves underwater. Later, we began removing and replacing the mouthpiece underwater. The early regulators had no check valve in the mouthpiece, so clearing procedures were found by the instructors and the techniques passed on to the students. Accidental underwater loss of a faceplate appeared to be a good possibility. Again, we instructors removed our faceplate underwater, learned to breathe without, uh, learned to breathe without holding our nose, replacing the flooded faceplate, and established how to clear a faceplate that was not equipped with a non-return valve. Now, are they ta- talking taking a mask apart and just the faceplate, or are they talking just it's you're using faceplate instead of mask? I think this is before the term mask was even regularly used. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was thinking, because I'm like, they're not even calling it a damn mask. This is insanity. Yeah. This is Stone Age. Mm-hmm. As confidence build, we start <laughs> procedure mm. of donning gear underwater. <laughs> Put on breathy thing. Put breathy thing in mouth. <laughs> Go. It breathe again. Breathe water bad. Breathe air good. <laughs> yeah. We should have developed this first class. I think it would have been a good class. Been six pages long. <laughs> breathe air good. Breathe water bad. Face thing come off. Face thing go on. And now you know why we got the word flippers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> flippers. Flippers make swim fast. He says the gear was placed at the bottom of the pool so that a free dive was required to reach the equipment. Later, this confidence builder was taken to deeper water adjacent to the pier. Water entry methods were developed by trial and error by instructors and students. Some students did not return after the first exposure, so we assume they were uncomfortable and chose to eliminate themselves from scuba diving. So it's interesting, like, where this went, right? So, I mean, we we did that couple of episodes where Cronin came in, started Patty, saying, this is way too rigorous. We need to make this easier if we're ever going to make money at this. But this was in a time where they, they all they really were caring about was putting out a quality diver. They didn't care about how marketable it was. right? They were A-OK with somebody entering class and going, this ain't for me. Right. OK, no problem. I'll see you later. Oh, mm-hmm. you want to be a scuba diver? Do you have the ability to stay mentally cool when the shit's hitting the fan? No? Well, then you know, go take to the something te- else. Go, yeah, go to the tennis club, right? I mean, you're at the tennis club in the pool. <laughs> Scoop is not here. for you. <laughs> Go grab a racket, you know. You have uh, options. Can you, you see the end of the pier out there a thousand feet away? Go swim out around it and back. Oh, I, I can't swim that far. Well, scuba is not for you. They were A-OK with saying that back then. Yeah, I I mean, and I, get I, that I there's, don't There's probably a balance. Word, yeah. I, I get that there's probably a balance somewhere in the middle. Um, and unfortunately, I, the, I think the issue that you and I have is that it went so far the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, it did. And, and it's not so much that it even went that far, but the certification that you're receiving isn't, isn't commensurate with the training you received. Well, that, there you go, right? It, it's, uh-huh. it went so far the other way, the training, but the card that you received at the end was the same mm-hmm. card as somebody that was going through a program like this was getting. That right. had had the mental aptitude screening, had the psychological evaluation before the dive, had the rigorous fitness 
uh, testing to, to see that they were ready, went through weeks of demanding work in order to get that certification versus, yeah. hey, you're going to go see some colorful fish. Plus they went into an understanding of, of diving. A physiologi- they went into the physiology a lot more in depth. You know, just so even your knowledge base was greater. Whereas, I mean, you look at it now; they don't even want to teach you the tables. They they don't want you to even understand of how your computer is working. Right. It's you know? just there's it's a just green there's it. a green zone, a yellow zone, uh-huh. and a red zone. Exactly. Keep it keep it in the green. If you hear a beep, Get there's the fuck a problem. Out. Get out. <laughs> if you hear a beep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to teach you gas laws because that's just going to confuse the hell out of you and make you drop out. Never so mind there's six you... other divers with beeping computers, too, that you're like, I heard a beep. What the hell? Surface! <laughs> Run away! Yeah. All right. Well, hey, this is, uh, this is turning into some fun stuff. Um, let's hold here for today. Grab those pony bottles, everybody. Pony bottle up. We're making this a two-diver. Well, I've got a little bandolier of spare airs. Can I use that? Whatever works, right? Yes. Whatever but works need, for you. But we need a system, so make sure you stop at the start from the top, work your way down on the. I've got it color coded. I've got it color coded. Make sure you use them in <laughs> agreement with the color of the rainbow. <laughs> right, green to yellow to red with variations in between. So I have twenty-eight spare airs. So. All right, you should be good till next week, then. I've, well, I was going to say I've got about 11 minutes of uh, spare air time. All right, everybody. Well, we will see you next week for the second half of this as we continue to talk about the very first U.S. scuba training program that was ever developed. And we're going to move on from there. So fun stuff. We hope you're enjoying this, and we will see you guys next week. won't physically see you, but we will talk to you next week. We'll talk at you next week. Did they kill themselves? No, they, they just didn't come back. They, <laughs> so they like went they, into the water and they just never came uh, back? No, they did the first day and they were like, I'm fuck kidding. that. I'm kidding you. The way it was worded, I'm like, some some came to class and chose never to return. <laughs> what the fuck? You're, you're kind of nonchalant about that. No, no, they figured they just couldn't hack it, so they floated out to sea. <laughs>